Amen. Bobby, you ready for this one, buddy? This one's rough. We're going back in history. You ready? All right, here we go. It's been said that if Martin Luther was the flaming torch of the Reformation, it was this guy who kindled the fire. And even though he was born into a peasant family, uh, God would use this one man to literally change a whole nation. In fact, the course of the Western civilization. He was born in Southern Bohemia in 1369. You got it figured out yet, Bobby? Yeah, okay, it's close, okay. And he earned a living singing and performing and doing different jobs in the church. And later, he was even asked to be a pastor of a church in Prague. And even though he was raised and taught by the Roman Catholic Church that said you need to do good deeds to get it to heaven, no. Okay, he began to see, though, from the Bible himself it was wrong, that these teachings were not only contrary to the Bible, the Word of God, but they actually were leading people away from God. Hello. And so as any good pastor would do, he would simply set out, and he did, to teach and equip people with the truth, his flock. And so how was he rewarded for being a faithful shepherd of the flock, leading people to Jesus Christ? Hey, that's right, folks. Believe it or not, the Roman Catholic authorities charged him with heresy and condemned him to die. And the next thing you know, he was arrested. He was put into prison awaiting his trial where he was asked if he would recant his beliefs and submit to the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. To which he replied, no. I appeal to Jesus Christ who is a higher judge of truth than any of you. And so with this, they stripped him of his clothes, they degraded him, they mocked him, they put this paper dunce cap on his head, it was painted with devils and this inscription that said, a ringleader of heretics. Because he was showing people how to get to heaven only through Jesus. And then they pronounced this on him, we commit your soul to the devil. But this man simply looked towards heaven and he says, but I commend my spirit into your hands, O Lord Jesus Christ, in which you have redeemed. God is my witness that I have never taught that of which I have been accused of by these false witnesses in the truth of the gospel, which I have written, taught and preached. I will die today with gladness and off to the stake. He went. And so when the wood was piled up to his neck, they asked him one more time if he would recant his teachings, to which he replied, No, I have never preached any doctrine of evil tendency, and what I have taught with my lips I now seal with my blood. And so a fire was lit. And in no time at all, this man was totally engulfed in flames, leaping high into the air. But as they did, true story, this man, a faithful preacher of God's truth, simply sung a hymn, listen, with such a loud and cheerful voice in the midst of the flames that he was heard well above the cracklings of the flames. And just before his death, in the midst of a supernatural peace that only God can give when you're being burned alive, he uttered his famous last words. He said this, In 100 years, God will raise up a man whose calls for reform cannot be suppressed. And church history records almost exactly 100 years later, 1517, Martin Luther nailed his famous 95 theses on the Wittenberg church door. You and I, the Protestant church, was born. The man's name was... I gave you time, Bobby. John Huss. John Huss. Most of them haven't heard of him, but wow. A lot of these guys laying the foundation for what we call the Reformation. John Huss was one of them. But isn't that awesome? I mean, it's not necessarily obviously awesome to be burned alive, but praise God for supernatural peace in the midst of that. Right? Okay? That sure came in handy. But can you imagine being a Christian where God would use you, you, just you, to literally change the course of a nation, ultimately Western civilization, ultimately it spills over here to America, the birthplace of our country? One guy? How many guys would say that's a pretty cool life as a Christian? In fact, I'd say that's a life worth living for, amen? 
Bingo. But once again, here's the problem. Even though God's the same God, right? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We're just as much his children as John Huss is, right? What's the problem we see today? Hey, in the American church, let's be honest. Most Christians today, we read the Bible in one hand, then we take a look at our lives in the other, and we're going, it ain't computing. We're, there's a mismatch here. There's a disconnect. Why is it these people, like John Huss, they get to have these amazing walks with Jesus Christ. He uses them to affect the culture in a profound way, and here I am, fumbling around the dark. I don't, I don't have a life with living floor. I get, I got a life for giving up, right? You ever get tired of reading stories about stories about somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody at one time who did something for Jesus? Don't you want to be one of those people? Turn to somebody and say, you can, in Jesus Christ. And that's why we're going to continue our study, folks, a life worth living for, okay? God's the same God, right? He doesn't just do it for one person, that's it. Okay, it's here today for you and I, a life worth living for. And what we're doing is we're going to take a look, continue to take a look at the different keys I believe are pivotal that we need to learn if we're going to have those life worth living for us, those amazing walks, those fruitful walks, those profound walks with Jesus Christ like John Huss had. Now, we saw the first six times, that first key, okay, to getting a life worth living for is when you and I learn to experience God's joy, his supernatural joy. He's already given to it uh, to us, not just for us, but why? So that when we're about in this joy, joyless world, even amidst the trouble, even amidst the flames, supernaturally, God could use you in this joyless world to lead souls to him. Isn't that awesome? We don't reinvent it. He's already given it to us, but as we saw, the enemy does all kinds of things to short-circuit God's joy, right? That was the first one. The second one, the last two times we've been seeing, is there's something else God's given us supernaturally, and we just saw it with John Huss, and that's experiencing God's what? experiencing God's peace, okay? And we saw that we can mess up, unfortunately, not only being a positive witness for Jesus when we miss out on his joy. He's already given it to us, okay? But we can do the same thing with his peace, okay? And the enemy tricks us into being those rotten advertisements for Jesus or hypocritical, right? And, and we know we need to witness in the last days. We need, no, we need to witness any day as a Christian, right? The scripture's clear about that. But what do we do? We mess it up, right? We say, hey, come to Jesus. He's awesome. He's wonderful. Oh, I've had such great peace since I surrendered my life to Jesus. And five minutes later, what are we doing? <laughs> Freaking out like the rest of the world. Stressed out, wigged out. <laughs> and I know none of us here ever do this. Road rage. Hi, I'm a Christian. Don't you want to accept Jesus? No. Not if that's Right? And we said, well, wait a second, that's not good. What's going on here? The scripture, just like with his joy, he's already given us his peace. I didn't say it, he did. So why don't we experience it? Why do we give in to that kind of stuff? Well, there's a reason. The last two times we saw it's because the enemy hijacks our mind. He gives us a misplaced mind. Scripture says, we saw before, if you think on these things, that which is right, excellent, just, praiseworthy, admirable, true, what happens? Peace of God keeps flowing, right? So the enemy knows that. So all he does is hijack our mind. He did it with two things, your ears and your eyes, the music and the media. And we allow this junk to be put in so it gets junk out. has nothing to do with legalism. How bad do you want God's peace to keep going? Right? Learn what David says. I will put nothing wicked before my eyes, let alone in my ears. Why? Because it affects your brain. And if you start thinking about that which is rotten, horrible, disgraceful, yucky, depressing, angry, what, how are you going to feel? The same way. Our emotions don't know the difference. Okay? But that's not all. Okay? The second way he gets us uh, to short-circuit God's peace is not just a misplaced mind. The second way is a misplaced lifestyle. Right? Because we all know as Christians, we're supposed to live for Jesus and for the world to come. And that's where our mind is. As Paul says, think on these things. Think on things above, not on this earth. This earth will mess you up, right? And that's what we're living for. So you can tell with these people being very materialistic and 
No, sarcasm gives it away. But let's remind ourselves why Jesus says, don't be living for this world or the things of this world. You do that, it's another tactic of the evil one to short-circuit God's peace. Open your Bibles to John 16. John 16, Jesus clearly lays it on the line for us and tells us, listen, you're not going to find joy in this world, okay? You're not going to find peace in this world. It only comes from him and focusing on what he's won for us by going to the cross and the world to come, okay? Which is way better than this place. John chapter 16, let's take a look there. We're going to read verses 29 through 33, all right? And uh, let's find out what Jesus says. Where do we get this peace? What's another area that we need to focus on? Okay, let's take a look. Uh, verse 29, here's what it says. Now, Jesus' disciples said, hey, now you're speaking clearly and without figures of speech. And, and, and now we can see, here's, a, here's an interesting verse. Now we can see that you know all things. Let that sink in for a little bit. Jesus knows all things, even that thing. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> no, let's keep moving on. I got a lot to go. Boy, we forget that, don't we? He sees it all. Okay, maybe another sermon. Jesus knows all things. We, we know you can, you can see all things, they said there, and they're all excited about that, right? And that you don't need to have anyone ask you questions. I mean, he's God. He knows it all. That makes us you believe that you what? You came from God. And Jesus, Jesus, finally, man, you guys believe it last, right? But listen, he says, the time is coming and has come when you will be scattered each to his own home. You will leave me all alone. He's talking about going to the cross, right? But was the cross the end of it? No, he's going to rise from the dead. He's going to defeat death, hell, and the grave. He's going to go to the right hand of the Father. He's coming back, amen. Praise God, set up the millennial kingdom. Ultimately, there's going to be the new heavens and the new earth. We get to forever be in existence that's beyond our wildest dreams. It's going to be awesome. But in the meantime, okay, he says, I'm going to the cross. That's the first step there. And then you guys are going to basically ditch me. You're going to leave me all alone. Yeah, I... Is he worried about it? No. He says, yet I'm not alone because my father is with me. He says, now listen, I told you this in advance. I told you all these things. Why? So that in who? Me. Who's me? Jesus. In Jesus, you may have what? Peace. In, the, in fact, he backs it up. In him, we may have peace. In this world, what did he say you can have? You're going to have tribulation or you're going to have trouble. He says, but here's the point. Take heart, Christian. Jesus says, I have overcome this world. And so right here from Jesus is as clear as day. He tells his disciples, listen, in him, in what he's doing, in what he's accomplishing for us, he's going to the cross. Why? It isn't just about forgiving us of our sins. Praise God for that. But because we're forgiven our sins, where are we going? We're going to heaven. Do we stay there forever? No, read the scripture. We come back with Jesus Christ, Revelation 19. We get to be a part of the millennial kingdom. It gets renovated to Garden of Eden-like conditions. There's peace with nature. We get to have our own pet lions and alligators. And it's true. We saw that before. And then, unfortunately, after a final rebellion, there's what's called the new heavens and the new earth. God literally speaks to the atoms. Everything blows up. The whole atmosphere, fire, Second Peter 3 kicks in. Brand new universe. Brand new earth, so shall it always be. No more sin, no more devil, no more nothing. That's what we get from Jesus going to the cross. It's not just forgiveness of sins. Isn't that awesome? So take heart. Take heart, right? Yay. 
So in me and what I've done for you and where we're headed because of what I've done for you, I won this for you, you may have. You think about that, you live for that. What do you get? Peace. Just saying that, isn't that awesome? How many of you guys are really still going, do I really get to have a pet alligator? I don't know how You're missing the point. I just threw it out there. Wow, that's awesome. And then, I don't think it's by chance, he flips it around. So live for Jesus, live for the world to come, and how awesome it is. You get peace. Woo-hoo! He says, in the meantime, though, in this world, this messed up version, what are you going to get? Tribulation. You're going to have trouble. You're going to have trouble. It's going to happen. Try to avoid it, but this is not heaven. Heaven comes later. But see, this is our problem. We act, even as Christians, as if this is the place we're destined for. We act as if we can somehow, quote, create heaven down on here. And Jesus says, no, you're not going to have it there. It's only coming in the new one. When you live for me and the world to come, you may have peace. My peace I give to you. Okay? You try to, try to create it here. You try to live for this world, the things of this world. What are you destined for? You get on that rat race. You get on that lifestyle. What are you going to get every single time? Trouble. Okay? And this is what the enemy does. Okay? And I don't think it's by chance. I think this is what he ultimately leads us to after he gets us with the frazzled mind. Right? And the frazzled mind because when he misplaced, right? And so if the enemy comes in, he'll go something like this, right? He'll sit there and he'll come up to you and I with this misplaced lifestyle, right? Living for the world and things to come. And here's how he sets this up, okay? He'll sit there and go, well, hey, Christian, maybe you heard a voice like this sometime. For some reason, I've noticed lately, for actually a while now, you really don't have much peace. <laughs> you're kind of freaking out. You're stressed out. Road rage. Right? I, I don't know why. Music and media. Music and media. I tell you what. I got a solution for you. Wouldn't you like to have peace? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Here's what you do. Live for this world, man. Get it while the getting's good. Get as much stuff as you can, right? It's all about that. It's things and materialism. And oh, yeah, did you see those people shopping? They're happy, peaceful. Don't you want to be like that? Now, we laugh at that. Anybody ever fall for that lie? He sets us up, getting us frazzled in our mind to ultimately get us here, to throw out a false panacea. You'll get peace when you get peace. What? And one guy, he actually jokes about it, but it's so true. We do this. Christian, we do this. We live for this world and things of this world, think that's where it's at. And he says this. He says, our so-called American way of life, listen to what he says, is based upon people who are ready to spend money they don't have to buy things they don't need to impress people they don't know who in the end are people who don't even care. That's us. He says, now proof of this, just think about last Christmas. He said, your biggest problem probably wasn't figuring out where to get enough money to buy the presents. No, okay, for your family and friends. He says, instead, it was trying to figure out what to buy for people who already have everything, right? And he said, now the answer to that problem should have been self-evident. What should you buy for those who already have everything is nothing. He said, but you didn't have the guts to pull it off, did you? No. He says, here's what you did. Instead, you went up and down the aisles of the department stores, having anxiety attacks, panic-stricken. You searched, yeah, even prayed that somebody somewhere invented some new things that nobody needs to give them to people who already have everything. He says, now, the tragedy of this lifestyle is that it takes a lot of money to buy all these things that nobody needs. And in order to get that money, most of us neglect what's really important our relationship with God, and our relationship with other people. 
spouse, kids, friends, whatever. He says, so here's what it's boiled down to. We don't have time to relate because most of us, it takes all of our time working these jobs that most of us dislike just so we can have enough money to buy all these things that nobody needs. That's the so-called American dream. Can I tell you something? That's not God's dream. And can I tell you something? That is not how and where you're going to find peace Christian. Jesus said, I've given you my peace. You think on these things, that's right, it'll keep it flowing. But here's your lifestyle. We live on this earth only temporary. The only reason why we're here, sucking air. In fact, turn to somebody and say, are you sucking air? (laughs) If you're not sure, put your hand over there. If you feel air, that's a good sign. If not, we might have to pray. Okay, so, right? The only reason why we're still here is what? Just to suck air? Hopefully not. No, of course not. He's got us here. Why? Because he wants us to be his witnesses. We're still here because God wants more than just us to be saved. This is all temporary. This whole world, this whole wicked world system, right? We don't dig our stakes in too deep. We don't try to create heaven. Heaven comes later, right? Praise God. It's going to be awesome. That's our lifestyle. That's what we're to live for. And Jesus said, here's the payoff. It's not just being obedient to me. It's not just being a great witness for me. Isn't that awesome? But you see, the question is, we laugh at it, we joke about it, we know better. My question is, how does the enemy get us to do it? Right? I can see the world, they don't know any better. How does the enemy get you and I as Christians to live for this world and the things of this world when Jesus said, it ain't going to happen, you're only going to get trouble from this world? How does he get us to do it? Well, we only get to get to the first thing that I've noticed today uh, and then, Lord willing, next week we'll follow up with the second way, kind of a two-bang punch. But believe it or not, the first way, he starts really young with us. He brainwashes us, the enemy. Did you know that this book, the Bible, is the only book on the planet that unbrainwashes us from the brainwashing we receive from this world? Do you know where that brainwashing started, with all due respect? It started with our school system. Now, I don't have time to go in the history of our school system. We used to have the best school system on the planet here in America. Our school system was Christian-based. Our school system taught kids the alphabet with the Bible. A, in Adam's fall, we sin all. Z, Zacchaeus, did he climb the tree, Jesus to see. That's how kids learn the alphabet, right? It was awesome. It was awesome. But it got hijacked. Okay, it got hijacked, and that's what I wanted to share with you today. It's not a make-believe, folks. Our system has got hijacked. And listen, here's my point. Our secular school system, secular, not biblical anymore, is encouraging this lifestyle that leads to a rotten existence. Okay? And we Christians are falling for it. But let's remind ourselves the true purpose of an education. This is according to the scripture, obviously, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 and 22. Here's why we should get educated. Okay? Study to show yourself what? Approved to get a good job. I'm sorry, wrong translation, Mike. You threw that out there. Uh, why, why? We study what? To get equipped, to get approved for who? God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing, ultimately, what do you need to become a master of? The Word of God, the Bible, right? Because that's the only book that um, brainwashes you. How are you ever going to know you're lied to if you don't get acquainted with the truth, right? And not only that, you need to study that which is right. You need to be encouraged in your education to flee that which is wrong, this wicked world system. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, and what? Peace with all those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Out of a pure heart, Okay. And believe it or not, the scripture is very clear, folks. Number one, we are called to show ourselves approved unto God, right? 
You go to school to get educated, to get equipped, okay? Not just for good grades. You get there to get equipped to become a better servant of God, to serve him in other people's name. Number two, your education process should not only encourage that, but it should encourage the opposite. Here's the danger. That's the good. What's the danger that needs to be pointed out? Stop living for this world. This world is full of trouble. You try to live for this world, you'll get nothing but trouble and destruction. You need to flee instead this wickedness in this world and pursue righteousness. You live that biblical lifestyle. You back that up with your education. You start that kind of education in your kids from wee high. When they grow up, they pursue righteousness. They pursue Jesus. Hopefully along the way they get saved. And they start living for him in the things of this world. And guess what happens? Folks, our country used to do that. How far we have fallen. We don't teach that anymore, okay? And, and again, believe it or not, folks, I, I don't know how much you guys have done the research, but listen to this. I, the first colleges in America, 123 of them out of 126, all were formed on Christian principles. All of them. We're so far removed, we've forgotten our own history and our own country. Listen to this. Up until 1900, it was rare to ever even find a university president who was not an ordained clergyman. Pastors ran the universities. Harvard. Harvard was America's first school founded by Reverend John Harvard in 1636. And the school's official motto was this. Why are you coming here to Harvard? Why are you getting educated? Quote, for Christ and the church. That's why you're here. And here's what every student was pressed upon their hearts. Quote, let every scholar be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life and studies. Why are you here? Quote, is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. That's what Harvard used to promote. What's going on in Harvard right now? We talked about this in the final countdown. Satanic black masses are being taught and encouraged at Harvard. We wonder why our education system, our country, so messed up. Now you think, well, how in the world did that happen? How do we go from teaching the kids about God, even in the alphabet? And our universities were for Christ in the church. What a heritage to satanic black masses. Well, there was a reason. And this is why I used the words hijacked. And it was started by a guy, our secular school system, by a guy named John Dewey. Not the guy that did the Dewey Decimal System. Different guy. I fell for that too, Bobby. But I looked it up. All right? And uh, no, it's not that guy. John Dewey was an atheist, and he was a humanist. Okay? And he wrote with other authors, but he was a primary author of what's called the Humanist Manifesto at the turn of the last century in our country. And it was these guys that hijacked our school system. Listen to what he wanted to do. Quote, to what? To free people from the shackles of believing in God. Well, how are you going to do that? You take over the school system. Let's take a look at just some of the basic tenets of humanism, what this guy believes and what he is promoted, okay? And you tell me if it's not in our schools and it's not permeated in our society. Okay, let's take a look at just a couple of them there. It says this, faith in prayer hearing God assumed to live and care for persons, to hear and understand their prayers, and to be able to do something about them is an unproved and outmoded faith. Why do people mock prayer today? 
Why do they turn to a psychologist, not a pastor anymore, when there's a tragedy? Because that prayer stuff, where do they get that? Well, gee, I wonder why. We find insufficient evidence for the belief in the existence of the supernatural. We begin with humans, not God. Look at every movie today. What is it? Hey, thank you, God, for rescuing us from this calamity. No, the triumph of the human spirit. It's all about us. We can do it. That's where this comes from, and it's being taught in the schools. We do not accept as true the literal interpretations of the Old and New Testament. Notice it's not, it's only the Bible. Why don't you say something about the Quran? Or the Hindu Veda or something. Why is it? Why are kids coming out of school today, even you might have them in school today, and they have such a rotten attitude towards the Bible? Wonder where it came from. Right? We include a recognition of an individual's right to die with dignity, euthanasia, suicide, birth control, and abortion. Why are kids coming out with all these whacked out behaviors and beliefs? And where do you think it's coming from, folks? We believe that intolerant attitudes, often culturally, uh, cultivated by orthodox religions and puritanical cultures, unduly repress sexual conduct. That's the Christian, by the way, right? That there's a moral standard. And that's why they said this, divorce should be recognized. The many varieties of sexual exploration should not be considered evil. Why are kids turning out so horrible in school? Why are they doing all this immorality and stuff? Well, what are you teaching them? And where did it come from? Right? He says, we oppose any tyranny over the mind of man to shackle free thought. In the past, such tyrannies have been directed by churches and states attempting to enforce the edicts of religious bigots. Get the church out of here. He says, his promises of immortal salvation or fear of eternal damnation are both illusory and harmful. Why is it that people don't believe in a literal Satan and a literal hell today? And don't tell me it hasn't infected the church. Do you know what the latest conference is now? You guys want to go to this one? I'm not making this up. Check it out. There's a conference in the American church today with a lot of big wigs. Rethinking Hell Conference in the church. What's there to rethink? Is there a hell number two? <laughs> Jesus talked twice as much about it. What? Are you, are you really having a conference to ultimately say Jesus is a liar? Excuse me? Where, where's this attitude? Well, you get raised in this environment. Where do you think it's going to happen? Salvationism, based on mere affirmation, still appears as harmful, diverting people with false hopes of heaven hereafter. No deity will save us. We must save ourselves. Why do people come out of high school, they haven't gone to college yet, and they're so adamant against Christianity? And they think that living for this world, you've heard it, right? Even as a parent? All right, yeah, maybe God's real and all that stuff, and I need to go to church services and blah, blah, blah. Okay, but you Christians are so boring. You know, uh, maybe I'll get saved when I'm, you know, my 800s or something, right? And, but right now I want to have fun because we all know that a good life comes from living in this world. Where do they get in this attitude? It's coming from these guys who hijacked their school system. The, the humanist folks, which again, this is where it's coming from, they hijacked their school. This is why the Bible was taken out of our schools. Prayer was taken out of our schools. The Ten Commandments were taken out of our schools. This is why they went to the next step, and they also took it out of our courtrooms and out of our government. And they supplanted it with their beliefs. Right now, as we sit here, this is what's being taught in the average American school today. Listen to this. Religion is a disease. The Bible is a work of fiction. They say that evolution is true and that God is dead, that prayer is a waste of your time, that Christians and Christianity are dangerous. 
They're also being taught earth worship, socialized medicine, world government, redistribution of American wealth to other nations, abortion, the elimination of the right to bear arms, altered states of consciousness, astrology, divination, spiritism, magic, spells, sorcery, occult charms, uh, solstice rites, serpent worship, and that's right, human sacrifice. Oh, and don't forget, right now, kindergarten teachers are being required to set aside 30 minutes a day on a regular basis uh, for sex education with pornographic pictures and sex acts depicted in graphic detail, and one district is now offering condoms to 11-year-olds while they're in school. Why would you do that? Because the same guys who hijacked our godly educational system to encourage people, here's why you're here, for Christ in the church, snuck in, took it over, and says, anything goes. They're being consistent. But we oftentimes don't want to admit it. Why is our society, generation after generation, after the last two to three generations, gotten so wicked? You reap what you sow. You want to kick God out? That's what you're going to get. Trouble in this world. Like this video shows. Let's take a look. Dear God, why didn't you save the school children at Moses Lake, Washington, Bethel, Alaska, Pearl, Mississippi, West Paducah, Kentucky, Stamp, Arkansas, Jonesboro, Arkansas, Edinburgh, Pennsylvania, Fayetteville, Tennessee, Springfield, Oregon, Richmond, Virginia, Littleton, Colorado, Tabor, Alberta, Canada, Conyers, Georgia, Deming, New Mexico, Fort Gibson, Oklahoma, Santee, California, El Cajon, California, Blacksburg, Virginia. Sincerely, Concerned Student. Reply, Dear Concerned Student, I am not allowed in schools. Sincerely, God. How did this get started? I think it started when Madeline Murray O'Hare complained she didn't want any prayer in our schools. And we said, Okay. Then someone said you better not read the Bible in school. The Bible says, Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, and love your neighbors yourself. And we said, okay. Dr. Benjamin Spock said we shouldn't spank our children when they misbehave because their personalities would be warped and we might damage their self-esteem. And we said, an expert should know what he's talking about so we won't spank them anymore. Then someone said, teachers and principals better not discipline our children when they misbehave. And the school administrator said, no faculty member in this school better touch a student when they misbehave because we don't want any bad publicity and we surely don't want to be sued and we accepted their reasoning then someone said let's let our daughters have abortions if they want and they won't even have to tell their parents and we said that's a grand idea then some wise school board members said since boys will be boys and they're going to do it anyway let's give our sons all the condoms they want so they can have all the fun they desire and we won't have to tell their parents they got them at school and we said, that's another great idea. Then some of our top elected officials said, it doesn't matter what we do in private, as long as we do our jobs. And we said, it doesn't matter what anybody, including the president, does in private, as long as we have jobs and the economy is good. And someone else took that appreciation a step further and published pictures of nude children, and then stepped further by making them available on the internet. And we said, everyone's entitled to free speech. And the entertainment industry said, let's make TV shows and movies that promote profanity, violence, and illicit sex. And let's record music that encourages rape, drugs, murder, suicide, and satanic themes. And we said, it's just entertainment. 
and it has no adverse effect, and nobody takes it seriously anyway. So go right ahead. Now we're asking ourselves why our children have no conscience, why they don't know right from wrong, and why it doesn't bother them to kill strangers, classmates, or even themselves. Undoubtedly, if we thought about it long and hard enough, we could figure it out. Surely it has a great deal to do with we reap what we sow. Why? That's really why. Why is our country so rebellious? Specifically rebellious against God. Why is it so full of wickedness? Why is every generation getting worse? Why isn't it getting better? Because we kicked God out. We allowed him to be kicked out by a small group of minority people called humanists. They kicked him out of our schools, our courtrooms, out of our country, out of our minds. They went right into our school system and began to hijack the minds from now the third generation going. Scripture says, parents, don't you ever do that. The Bible says this, here's what you're supposed to do with your kids, moms and dads. Deuteronomy 6, verse 69, these commandments, God's commandments, what? The things of God. I give to you today are to be impressed upon your hearts. Number one, mom and dad, you need to know the scripture. And then what do you do? You turn around and you educate your kids with the scripture. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them on the symbols of your hands. Bite them on your forehead. How many guys would say that's pretty much everywhere all the time? Yeah, okay. And it's not just Old Testament. Write them on the door frames of your houses, on your gates. Paul says this, Ephesians 6. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. You want to be the best dad ever? Bring them up in the training and the instruction of God. That's a successful father in God's eyes. Right there. And here's the payoff. We all know this. We cross-stitch it on pillows. Make t-shirts out of it. Bumper stickers. Proverbs 22.6. Train a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, woohoo! Here's what you reap. He's not going to turn from it. What? The things of God. And when you follow Jesus and live for him in the world to come, what do you get? Peace. But now we've fallen and we encourage an unbiblical lifestyle, a misplaced lifestyle. And our kids are brainwashed from wee high. And it's all about getting stuff. That's what's going on. See, the first part here was just immorality. The things that the schools are also teaching that do not lead to peace as well. Does immorality lead to peace? No. Sin what? Sin destroys. Right? But again, they encourage this idolatry. Right? You get a good education so you can get a good... That's not what the Bible just said. Job. See, we've had it drilled in our heads, haven't we? And a good job is one that's defined as one that makes a lot of money. And the reason why you need a lot of money is so you can buy things you don't need to impress people you don't even know. You live that rat race, it'll kill you. One guy says this. He said there was a successful peasant farmer who wasn't satisfied with his lot in life, and he wanted more of everything. He, you know, just, just wasn't enough. Oh, by the way, how many guys have some food? You're wearing clothes. And you got a place to sleep. Praise God. You should be at peace. God says, you seek him first, his righteousness, his him, and he'll, you don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Life is good. But see, that's not enough, is it? They drill this into your head. Oh, no, no, no. We've got to have more. He said, so for 1,000 rubles, he could buy all the land he could walk around in a day. The only catch in the deal was he had to be back at the starting point by the end of sundown. So early the next day, he starts walking, right? Because the more he walks, the further he goes, the more land he gets. 
And even though by midday he was getting very tired, he kept on going, and he was covering more ground and more ground and more ground. Well, well into the afternoon, he realized that his greed had taken him way far from the starting point, right? And, and, and so he quickened his pace to get back because he had to get back before the sun went down, right? And so he realized that uh, he'd lose all the land he had gained. So he's going faster and faster and faster and faster. And just as the sun began to sink below the horizon, he came in sight with the finish line. And so he's gasping for breath. His heart's pounding. He called upon every bit of strength left in his body. He staggered across the finish line just before the sun went down. But he immediately collapsed, blood streaming from his mouth. And in a few minutes, he was dead. And afterwards, his servants dug a grave. And the story goes, he got his land all right. It was about six feet long, three feet wide. Six feet deep. And the title of the story is, How Much Land Does a Man Need? You know what I just described to you? The American Dream. Which we know doesn't satisfy, because then we deal with this reality. We also call it the rat race. <laughs> I gotta go here, I gotta do this, and job, because I gotta pay for this, and I'm in debt, and I got this, and I gotta pay off this bill, and it's because this ain't good enough. Apparently, I ain't gonna, I gotta have a bigger house, I gotta have this, I gotta have more cars, I gotta have this. <laughs> you live for this world, what will you get? Trouble. You live for Jesus, God's taking care of you. How much do you need on this temporary camping trip? How much do you need? Scripture says, folks, when you live for this, it'll never happen. 1 John, real quick, uh, chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, says this, Do not love this world or anything in this world. Why? Because if anyone loves this world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in this world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has, and the, hey, look what I got, I got this, it's better than you. You see this? You're not as cool as Tom. Because he's got this new doodad, whatever a doodad is. Right? All that stuff, boasting what he has, what he that comes not from the Father. Where's that mindset come from? The world, you're living for the world when you live like that. You live for the world, what do you get? Trouble. You live for Jesus and the world to come. Where the pavement, it's not asphalt. There's no potholes. It's gold. It's what? Sorry, Tom, you can't beat that one with your doodad. That's where we're headed. Christian, it's high time we get back to the true purpose of an education. We cannot afford to lose another generation. That's what this guy says. He says, now I know what you're going to say. You're, you're, you're making Christianity too hard. I mean, my goodness. I mean, I, I didn't mind this belief stuff. But you expect me to change the whole way in which I live? Of course I do. That's what Christianity is all about. It's about changing the whole way you live. Not for this world anymore, but the world to come. He says, maybe you don't like this Jesus. Maybe you don't like the Jesus who says, if any man would be my disciple, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Maybe you don't like him. That's okay. Reject him. But for goodness sakes, don't call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ if you're not. He said, the Jesus I talk to is the biblical Jesus. He's radical. He's really radical. He's extremely radical. He calls you to a whole new lifestyle, a dangerous lifestyle, a threatening lifestyle. Why? Because from the day you were a kid, they drilled it into your head to fit into this system. Your parents did it. The church did it. The school did it. They say, get a good education. You talk about dropping out of school, they go nuts. And you ask if, if, if why I should get a good education. They say the answer is simple. If you get a good education, you'll be able to get a good job. And a good job is when you earn a lot of money. He says, stop and think about how unchristian that is. 
He says, you need to go to college. You need to get a good education. But the purpose of an education is not to make enough money to buy things. The purpose of an education is to equip yourself to serve other people in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. That's what our country used to promote in our educational system. That's how every kid going to school used to come out when we had a fantastic country. But not anymore. Here's what our kids are learning. Start studying when you're about seven years old real hard. Then grow up and get a good job. And then from then on, get up at dawn every day. Fly to your boss. Crush your competition. Climb over the backs of your coworkers. Be the last one to leave every night. Squirrel away every sin. Avoid having a nervous breakdown. Have a premature heart attack. Don't forget to get a facelift. <laughs> Do this every day for 30 years. Holidays, weekends included. By the time you're ready to retire, you might have your money for what? To buy these things that nobody needs. To impress people you don't even know and who don't even care. What? And we wonder why oh, 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 we're all freaked out, stressed. Oh. It's a misplaced lifestyle. We're going to close with a warning about the devil's tactics. I want you to guess when this warning came out and why we need to respond to it today. Let's see if the devil's been successful in destroying our nation. Let's take a look. If I were the devil, if I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness, and I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population, but I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree, the. So I'd set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve. Do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And the old, I would teach to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington, and then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions, just let those run wild. Until before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing, I'd have judges promoting pornography, Soon I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who wanted until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious and what'll you bet? I couldn't get whole states to promote gambling 
as the way to get rich. I would caution against extremes in hard work, in patriotism, in moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. And thus I could undress you in public, and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. Paul Harvey warned our nation of the devil's tactics. 1965. Right when evolution and humanists were making their inroads into our education system. Fifty years ago, we were warned you better pay attention, turn it around now, or the devil's going to be successful in ripping us apart, even in the church. How many warnings do we need? 50 years ago? Can you imagine if the American people and the American church responded to that warning 50 years ago, what kind of different shape we would be in? If we said, no, we are keeping the Bible in school, prayer in school, the Ten Commandments, you're the ones, get out of here. This is a Christian nation. We are for Christ and the church. Get saved or go. Go start your own country. Leave ours alone. Can you imagine where we'd be today? Can I tell you something? That was 50 years ago. God's warned us for 2,000. Purpose of an education is to equip yourself to serve other people in his name. To remind people that if you want to have peace, it only comes from the Prince of, Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. Seeking him and the world to come that's way better than this garbage can that will always give you trouble. Let's get back to that. Let's heed the warning from God, let alone Paul Harvey. We're not responsible for somebody else's behavior, but here at Sunrise, let's be those people who seek Jesus, who love him, who live for the world to come and who do what it takes to get involved in our kids' lives to train them up in the way they should go that way so that they and we could be people, a family, and a church of peace so that when people come here, can I have what you have? That's when we'll have a life worth living for in these last days. Amen? Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy, we're not perfect like him. 
Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay? Well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn, we, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it, and a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins, and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, 
it, it's a proven fact. They did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.